Welcome to the podcast for Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley, California. I'm Pastor Kristen Stone King. Our mission at Epworth is to live out God's love for all. We strengthen our faith as we worship, study, develop a creative, supportive community, and serve others. Together, we encourage each other, challenge each other, and welcome all people on their journey of faith. We are a reconciling congregation, meaning that persons of all sexual orientations and gender identities are welcomed to help transform our church and our world into the full expression of Christ's inclusive love. We are a sanctuary church, advocating for the rights and dignity of immigrants, and we stand in solidarity with the movement for Black Lives. Our podcast blends a taste of the music that we experience here in worship on Sunday mornings, along with a scripture reading and a message. Today's reading is from the uh, first letter of John, chapter 3, verse 11, and then verse 14 through 23. And if you'd like to follow along in your pew Bible, that's page 240 in the New Testament section. And I have taken the liberty of changing God's pronouns to they, them, and their. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. 
We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our, our hearts at rest in God's presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and they know everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from them anything we ask because we keep their commands and do what pleases them. And this is their command to believe in the name of their Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as they commanded us. The Word of the Lord. Fellow Epworthians, <clears throat> I am back again. I am Michael Carey Martin, a relatively new United Methodist. I am your fellow congregant, and as you should have realized by now, your favorite lay leader. <laughs> you have Dr. Pastor Stone King to blame for today. Uh, Pastor, Pastor Kristen. Through the years, I love her more and more. And, uh, not really. And, and when she approached me to be part of what was to be a short series of short vignettes from the Lay community on the theme of a better place, from Edwards Lay community on the theme of a better place, uh, I got excited and I managed to talk my way into another opportunity to address you. Epworth is a place a people I have come to love, a place a people I believe has loved me back. When the lovely Maria Gallo brought me to this place, I was a somewhat unsteady recovering alcoholic, carefully nursing a relatively new sobriety, having recently returned to my boyhood environs here in the East Bay. 
I was determined to, indeed I promised Maria that I would only come here as her guest. I wanted to be a modest profile, quiet congregant. <laughs> I was weary of being a Washington DC high shot. I wanted to lie low to find peace. As many of you have since realized, that's not quite how it happened. <laughs> I think it started when I joined the choir. Uh, I have, since coming here, been an active member. I've been on many committees. I've been chair of the Board of Trustees. I've been one of three lay leaders. And this year, ascended to become your favorite because, <laughs> because having turned out, I am your only. <laughs> the reason it didn't quite happen that way, really, is because I, as a person, am unable to sit down and shut up. You may have noticed that, but it's also because Epworth United Methodist Church is a better place. In many ways, what I found here at Epworth was familiar. I grew up in South Berkeley Community Church, a United Church of Christ establishment at the corner of Fairview and Ellis in South Berkeley, of course, just off Adeline. That church was chartered in 1945 with the specific intention of being the integrated church in Northern California. During the hour of what uh, Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. called the most segregated hour in America. It was an active activist church like Epworth, but we never had enough money. In fact, we, never had a, we didn't have a full-time pastor until I was in high school. Actually, that was a benefit because our pastors were always part-time and they, their day jobs were as professors at first at Cal and then another pastor from Cal State, a philosophy professor. I gleaned a lot from having those part-time pastors, but it really was a reflection of the church just being short of what it takes. And uh, what I found here was the same sort of place, but with more resources, more energy, more money. My interest was peripheral, as I said, at first, but then a bunch of stuff happened. Uh, by chance, I intervened at, at an Epworth function in a medical emergency. Then I got volunteered to lead a study group on the Advent, and, and then I joined the choir. You know. And before I could do anything about it, I was involved. And it felt good. Then I got sick. It was 2016. It was cancer. It was esophageal cancer. And like most idiots, I went straight to the internet to really get the truth. <laughs> and uh, let's just say I found this commentary. Survival rates are getting better. I was looking that in the face. And this was my church. And my church, First Maria, then the choir, then all of you were holding me close, not letting me go, not letting me die. And after that, I was yours forever. That, to me, is why Upworth is a better place.
excuse me. Lost jumping out there. Can someone help me find my composure? <laughs> One of the things that uh, I found that made up with a better place is it made me a better person. It gave me the opportunity to speak in a platform like this. Now my background is uh, that of a trial lawyer and I'm used to everything, everything I say being first called a lie and then uh, having been arrived at by faulty logic and all kinds of other stuff like that. It's, it's, a, it's a very uh, stimulating environment. But to be in an environment like this and espouse ideas of love and peace and joy has made me a different person, a better person. So on the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King's birthday, in 2017, I was given the opportunity to bring the message to you here for the first time ever. I was scared to death, six weeks out of a hospital bed. I wasn't sure that I could uh, even make it through. But I remember uh, after the anthem, stepping up here and saying, I like that choir. <laughs> and they all smiled at me just as I know they are doing now. But uh, that message uh, centered on the theme of empathy. Uh, it was on, uh, centered on my, my favorite parable, uh, the Good Samaritan. As uh, most of you know, it's the story of a stranger, a virtual foreigner, uh, helping the victim of a highway robbery when some of the best of his own people studiously avoided getting involved. I emphasize that it was this sort of empathy deep, personal, requiring risk, personal sacrifice that Americans, white Americans, would have to feel with black Americans in order for us to ever truly be equal in this land, in this world. I've hammered on that theme again and again in subsequent talks. And today I'm in love with John's first general epistle at chapter three, where he admonishes us to love one another as God has always loved each of us. As God has loved us, we have loved God in whom we have faith but have never seen. We must love our siblings here on earth who are standing right in front of us. In my message on Dr. King's birthday in 2020, yeah, it was three years before they invited me back, I talked about Eric Gardner. I wondered how a video of a wanton killing such as his, that of a poor, fat, black man caught selling illegal cigarettes, whatever those are, could be repeatedly shown on America, to the American public on TV with essentially no reaction. His own congressman said it was his own fault for being too fat. His own president, another black man, could only say that America had a race problem. The police officer's union beefed when the officer that killed him in public was fired five years later. How could this be, I wondered. Then, then a few months later, George Floyd was murdered and still another blatant killing of a black man caught on a cell phone video. Thank God for the cell phones. Something about this murder 
perhaps its vivid super slow-mo process, continuing while the man's fellow humans begged the enemy for his life. I don't know, but something made this one different. In the conscience of America, indeed, the world was pricked and roused from its slumber for a while. The Dixie Chips chicks dropped the Dixie from their name. Lady Antebellum also changed their name. The New York Times began capitalizing black when it referred to a, a person or a people. Um, even NASCAR, that bastion of the Old South, banned the flying of the stars and bars. Indeed, a year later, I spoke with great hope of a third reconstruction to follow the real one and the second one, the Civil Rights Movement. But here, a little more than three years after George Floyd was killed over, over and over on TV, well, it happened. Since George Floyd's murder, 181 more black people have died at the hands of American police. The pace continues unabated. There are numerous excuses and explanations for this, but none make any more sense to me than just the lack of love. Now I've read that during uh, Hitler's early years of, as chancellor of Germany, uh, the social milieu, the feeling in society reached a point, gradually it seemed morphed, to a point where a non-Jew could start beating on a Jewish person on the streets of Berlin and not fear any intervention from passers-by. That was just how it was in those days. If God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. It's not exactly that we don't know what to do, we don't know how to do it. Along those lines, I, had a friend, I have a friend, Dwayne Desjois, a fellow law student, a uh, black man who was grocery shopping at the Star Grocery over on Claremont. And as he exited, he got into a, a, a uh, uh, had words with a passing motorist. And uh, it ended with the motorist calling, loudly calling my buddy a fat nigger and driving off. Now, perhaps as hurtful as these words, Dwayne told me, was the strange, silent, distant reaction of all the white people surrounding him. They had all witnessed his humiliation, but none could find even a sympathetic glance to give him. He was alone. There was no comfort from that crowd. They didn't love him. You can't direct that kind of action. It has to be felt. When I've told this story before, people have asked me how I would have reacted. And I, my answer is always prefaced by, I don't know, but it's always prefaced by me saying, as a fellow black man, I wouldn't have allowed my brother be to, to suffer in silence. But why must I be a fellow black man for him to be my brother? I stated earlier that I love you and that I feel love from you. And that makes everything different. When you read about some police officer roughing up a black suspect, you feel one thing. But if I, 
tell you the story about me being cuffed and stuffed while I was running an errand one afternoon, or being held at gunpoint by the Prince George's County, Maryland sheriffs because I was walking to get my car out of the mechanics. Me, then you feel something different. We know what we're supposed to do. We just don't know how to do it. It's not our fault. As a nation, we were built on an absolutely hideous institution, that of slavery. The true nature and impact of its hideousness has been studiously avoided by all official historical accounts because it's just too hard to take. From there, we've had to become a nation that prefers to uh, ignore the twisted logic that went into justifying slavery. But you have to realize that this went on for hundreds of years. For hundreds of years, uh, people woke up in this nation and knew that a whole people were being held enslaved. And it was okay. The Supreme Court said it was okay. There were laws that said it was okay. It was all right. And slavery was discussed more as a political issue and a, a balance of power in Congress than as something that involved real human beings and absolute cruelty. And we're all people. We know that that doesn't make sense. You can't have something like that to actual people. And so what the, the, uh, the supposed critical race theory that so many, so many people uh, seem to be excited about is just that. In order to make that sort of situation stand in the American mind, in the world's mind, uh, the notion of black people being inferior had to be instilled, instilled in every aspect of our culture, in literature, art, film, television, and throughout popular culture. Black people are described as, and portrayed as unpeople, really. And uh, for decades, years, centuries, our only identity has been our race in popular American culture. And when it's used that way, it's often used negatively. We're ugly, we're dangerous, we're stupid. Black women must straighten their hair. And if you, if you look at the evening news, the, the streets are rife with young black men preying on the helpless. And I can attest to the fact that there's widespread, there was widespread belief that my presumed affirmative action presence at Yale displaced some smarter, more worthy white student. In the minds of much of America, white supremacy exists. My parents moved to El Cerrito in 1958. They were black pioneers in the city. The path I follow through life as a result has given me some unusually clear insight into the strength of and the persistence of and the insidious nature of the racism I was just describing. 
even though the year I was born, 1954, marked the year the Supreme Court dis dis declared racial discrimination to be illegal, I witnessed and been subjected to such lawlessness all my life. This is where our church comes to life. We deal in the currency of belief. We have uh, laws, laws can change, customs can change, but deep-seated beliefs are the hardest to change. We as a church can push America, America's attitude to where it says it should be because it is the attitude. NASCAR can ban the stars and bars, but I've read that uh, it still flies at most of their races. You can't, you can't make the people do it. But we can make the people believe. We can move the people's minds and attitudes. What do we truly believe? What do we believe ourselves to be? And what do we truly believe our, about our fellow humans? In the course of my lifetime, I've seen seismic changes in the overall popular attitude toward dress. I can guarantee you the tie is on the way out. <laughs> um, to attitudes toward marriage. I mean, people still get engaged, get married, buy a house and have babies, but not necessarily in that order. And uh, most notably smoking. 50 years ago, you could smoke anywhere, anytime, where you wanted, but now you're a pariah if you light a cigarette. It is wrong, you just, it's, it's wrong, it's been phased out, it is socially unacceptable. And uh, how about tattoos? I mean, there was a time where if someone told me that they had a tattoo, that would be remarkable. But now you could tell me that your grandmother got a tattoo and I'd shrug. <laughs> Yet, in the progressive city of San Francisco, because of the belief that crime is out of control, the numbers belie the belief, uh, the call this election year is for more policing. The local news shows us image after image of uh, black people blatantly ripping off retail establishments and beating up on old Asian ladies. 70 years after Major League allowed Jackie Robinson to play baseball, the President of the United States tells NFL team owners that if any, any black players kneel in protest of racism to fire the sons of bitches. 70 years after whites-only restaurants were outlawed, a clerk at the Pete's at Durant and Shattuck demanded that I show my receipt in order to be allowed to use theirs. We, my church, our church, must be the push on America's true day-to-day -day beliefs. The sight of me walking down the street in some place like Atherton or Hillsborough has got to become as socially acceptable as a tattoo, really. But my fellow Epworthians, 
I'm off on a bit of a preachy ranch here saying all of that just to say this. Love is the answer, the only answer. As you know, it cannot be described. It could only be felt. More of it makes this church and this world a better place. A better place. Thank you and amen. for Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley, California. Wherever you're located, we'd love for you to take a next step in growing in faith in this community. Our online worship is at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings on Facebook, YouTube, and on our website at epworthberkeley.org. Or you can fill out an online connect card at epworthberkeley.org backslash connect. Have a great week.